Welcome back to the 6Ps podcast, episode C, and today we're going to focus on persuasive devices and language that is used. As I've mentioned previously, analysing language is a really important part of this SAC. It does appear in one of the criteria, and this is where you'll be using evidence from the text, devices used by the author or authors from the text or texts and analysing how they position audiences. So today I'm going to run through a few and discuss their impact on the audience and why the writer uses them. To start with, we're going to look at when the authors acknowledge opposing views. And the writer uses this, I guess, to demonstrate that they have considered both sides And it augments their credibility and improves the audience's opinion of the writer. In terms of impacting the audience, it prompts them to realise that the writer is a reasonable person with well-considered arguments. And I guess it validates them as someone with an understanding of the issue. And a great phrase that I like to use is engenders. It engenders trust or creates trust between the reader and the author. Anecdotes are also very common, and the writer will use these again to add to their credibility and connection with the reader, especially when it's a personal anecdote. Um, That means when it relates to the writer specifically. It can also position the reader to accept or reject an idea. The example I always think of is from the Mick Palmer article when he talks about being a policeman and knocking on parents' doors to tell them the bad news that their son or daughter had had died and that death message and the emotive impact that had on the audience to reconsider their views on pill testing. So what's the impact of an anecdote? Well, I guess it varies depending on what's being said in the anecdote, but it definitely can elicit certain emotions. And when you discuss the impact, be specific with those emotions. Is it sympathy? Is it anger? Is it hope? Another device to have a think about is an attack which is used, I guess, to expose a lack of logic, to undermine another person or idea or thought, or to refute what opponents have said. And I guess the reason why it's used, not only does it strengthen the writer, their position, their arguments, their contention, by denigrating their opponents, it also disassociates disassociates them um, from their opponents too. One that came up recently in the Herald Sun editorial I'm thinking of, um, a device that sometimes we skip over, but I think it's a really important one, is the use of lists. And the Herald Sun editorial mentioned all the different substances found within illicit pills um, that young adults and teenagers were taking at music festivals. And I think it's really, really good because in terms of to analyse because at times, and again, great verbs to use, it bombards or even overwhelms the reader with information and it magnifies the issue. And I think it's really important when the list is particularly long to mention that, the fact that it's quite overwhelming in terms of the amount of information. So it's not just the quote, it's the quality, I guess it's the quantity as well. One of the most common devices that we see, especially in the exam, it seems to come up every year, but also in SACS, is inclusive language. 
Yes, it is language that includes the reader, but make sure you go a bit more detailed than that. In a sense, readers will feel an obligation to do something or feel empowered to do something or to be a part of something, be it the issue, be it quite commonly a call to action to act on the issue, encourage compelling them to act. And it's more than just we, us and our. It is all about making the issue personal to the reader so that they act. Connotations is a great device to have a think of because it's just picking out words here and there. The writer will utilise, you know, a phrase which carries connotations and they could be positive or negative. For example, the quote recently was, the school was invaded with a crackpot idea to ban end-of-year celebrations for Year 12 students. When we think about words in that sentence that have connotations, the first one is invaded. It creates a sense of unwelcomeness, you know, a country invading another one. It's got that really negative connotation. The word crackpot as well suggests, you know, weird or eccentric idea, and it's very insulting and condescending. Be really, really, really clear as well with the words that work together. So a school being invaded has massive ramifications. It is a military term. It's not meant to be used in a school um, environment. So have a think about that as well and the way that it's used. Imperative language is another one, and especially in letters to the editor, which are a bit more informal. Imperative language, as an example, you might say, we must unite to ensure a better future for Australians. We can unite to ensure a better future for Australians, or we may unite to ensure a better future for Australians. It's often a more serious, a more firm and resolute tone. It leaves absolutely no room for discussion and compels readers or obliges them to do something, to act. They must do something. That word must is really, really, really important. And I guess think about the sentences and their length as well, because often imperative sentences are very, very short. You know, we must not stand for this compared with we shouldn't tolerate this. The word must has really significant ramifications. Think as well about reflections or parallels, associations, comparisons, analogies. These are used quite commonly as well, and they can be positive or negative. You know, by drawing parallels between, and this is an article that came up last year, I think, it drew parallels between the Hunger Games and VCE in an attempt to align one-day schooling with students' feelings towards the dreadfulness of the Hunger Games. Other common techniques, things like alliteration, which is a succession of words beginning with the same sounds, like Dr. Death, Analogies and metaphors, which seek to paint a picture for the audience. For example, a state without strong leadership is like a ship without a rudder. Appeals to tradition is a really interesting one because it's that generational difference. Often it's used because older generations don't like change and it appeals to that. You know, it relies on a sense of the past, which is worth preserving. An example of this could be the Union Jack has held long-held pride of placing the Australian flag. It would be slap in the face to our forefathers if we were to abandon it now. 
appeals to parochial beliefs and views and even patriotism as well, linking with that idea of tradition too. But there are other kinds of appeals, an appeal to common sense, an appeal to fairness, an appeal to fear, appeal to self-interest, appeals to guilt or shame, appeals to family values or parental values too. Often these come up particularly when um, children's safety is involved and we see that a little bit with the pill testing. Other devices to have a think about? Well, we've got colloquial language, which we saw in Mikey Kale's opinion piece. It's that more down-to-earth style. It's very warm and welcoming. It's often considered quite informal, but it does build that really strong relationship with the reader. Generalizations, which pick up on prevailing prejudices and stereotypes in a culture. For example, the idea that all Australians love their sport. Jargon is subject-specific language. It is a kind of language that intimidates readers. It sets up an artificial barrier between the speaker and the audience. An example might be, barring unforeseen development, the government's continued emphasis on fiscal restraint combined with tight monetary policy should see our long-term budgetary parameters. The last device I'm going to look at today is evidence, quite holistically. The main two here are expert opinion and statistics. They are really well used by, or they're often used by authors just to add to their credibility, their validity, um, their authority on issues as well. And they are used in order just to cement or strengthen arguments. It is difficult for a reader to refute an expert opinion or statistics because it is concrete evidence. Just note the difference between the two. Statistics is numerical data, while expert opinion is more so coming from a person of authority. The last device that's quite commonly used is a rhetorical question. And this is one that can sometimes trip students up. So be really careful. When we look at annotating articles or reading articles and looking for devices, you know, we see numbers, we can assume it's going to be statistics. We see the words like we, our and us, and we can assume it's inclusive language. We see someone's name or quotation marks or the phrase according to, and we link it directly with the expert opinion. But please be really careful with question marks. A question mark doesn't necessarily mean it's a rhetorical question. What I mean by that is a rhetorical question is a question that doesn't require an answer. Sometimes, though, authors will answer their questions. So please be really careful. But note, you can still analyse that. If it is a question that the author then answers, analyse it. They provide the audience with the answer, which leaves them in absolutely no doubt as to what to believe or what to think or what to consider or what even to reconsider. So please be really careful with questions and rhetorical questions as well. Bear in mind too that sometimes they will ask two or three questions in a row and that is something you can analyse. If a device is used continuously, mention that because that's part of the holistic view of an article. We'll go to our first and only break today. It is episode C. So the theme today is classical music. We'll be back to wrap up after this.
episode C. We'll be back next week. Don't forget, proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. Are we finished? Done.